Before we begin, a note of warning. The language used and the topics explored in this podcast are not suitable for listeners younger than 18. Your discretion is advised. From the Spade and Archer Studios, welcome to Behind the Yard Sign, the podcast that pulls back the curtain to reveal the real world of real estate with your hosts, Justin M. Reardon and Amy Romberg. Justin. Hey, man. Hi. <laughs> How are you? I am great. I feel like it's been forever since we've hung I know. out. Let's remedy that soon. I am just filling up on the chips that are in the green room. I hope that it's okay that I kind of got started with the oh, fiesta yeah. meal that's going on in there. We have an out-of-town guest this week. There's Ruth Price is here from Arizona. We wanted to try to make ah. her feel comfortable. So we did like the Southwest chips, dips, chains, and whips. I'm not talking like candle wax on the nipples or anything, but there was definitely margaritas back there. That's a line from Weird Science. I did not make that up. I swear to God. (laughs) How do you retain these things? How do you? I've never been someone that movie lines stay in my brain. Because I am still a 12-year-old boy stuck inside of a 47-year-old gay man's body. So this is one of the things I have to look forward to when my child turns 12. Yes. We don't really have any personality at all. So we just recite movie lines constantly. That's what boys do. So, And I like literally my high school friends. We do a Zoom every weekend at noon on Sundays just to stay in touch throughout the coronavirus. And it is literally people just throwing movie lines back and forth to each other. We don't talk about anything in our lives at all. There's nothing personal. We just (laughs) recite movie lines. It's kind of (laughs) gross. Which is amazing because that just sounds like, I'm just going to be honest here, Justin, uh, that sounds terrible to me. It is. Yeah. But I love them anyway. I mean, maybe, so it's good. I love that it keeps you connected. We do yeah. a, a, like a once a year, we all get together, go to Palm Springs for like three days. And it literally oh. takes two and a half days for us to get to a point of actual intimacy where we're actually talking about our real lives because boys were so yeah. guarded with each other. It takes those three days of like being separate and by ourselves to like actually build those relationships. It's something that our guest coming on, she is amazing at building and maintaining relationships. She's this person that like, um, Whenever I think about her, she's the one who calls me first because I'm like, I should totally call oh. Ruth. And then, of sure shit, there is like Your a voicemail on my phone. Isn't that yes, crazy when that happens. Oh, she yep. always beats me. But some people are just—I feel like there's this connection that happens with them that just like it keeps you in each other's thoughts in such an interesting way. It sounds like you've known her a while. I've known her for a long time. Yeah, I think we're going on like ten yeah. years at this point. I would love to say that it was like she has a CRM that like like sends her a ping and says like, "Don't forget to call Justin today." But I think it's honestly like just. <laughs> personality. I'm sure that's part of why she's a pretty amazing real estate agent. Should I go back there and get her? I would like to not leave her alone too long with all that guacamole and all those margaritas because, you know, I want some at the end of all this too. So, (laughs) Speaking of her being alone, Joff Metz is back there too. He's going to be our second guest today and he's one of my my boys from the call in the Palm Springs trip. He's one of my boys and he does our music so we get to talk to him later on too. So, okay, I'll be right back. I'll go get her. Are you going to be okay here for a few minutes? You got enough? Do you want to refill on that, Mark? I'm going to think of movie lines that I can share with Joff. I'll see if I can come up with anything. Perfect. (laughs) Don't go dying on me, Goose. Amy, let me introduce you to Ruth Price. Ruth, this is Amy. What did you think of the green room, sis? Thank you so much for the margaritas. How did you know they're like the <laughs> Arizona state drink? We wanted to like make you feel comfortable. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> it's so good to meet you. Good to meet you. 
tell us about your 20-year journey in real estate. Where were you born first off? How did you get into real estate? What? Tell us the whole thing. Next year, I'm celebrating my 20 years in real estate, which is kind of amazing. Aww. And I'm proud to say that I'm lifetime real estate pro and survived the craziness of this business, including the major crash of 20, 2008. I um, originally was born in Romania. My family immigrated here when I was 11 with um, literally about a two-month notice. So I did not know any English. We really didn't know very many people in the U.S. And my parents packed up and moved to the States with a suitcase. Wow. Arrived here and they say, here you go, go to school. Where did you arrive in the U.S.? Like what was the first city you landed in? We arrived in the Portland area. We did have one family member there. Other than that, we really didn't know anyone. I got over the jet lag and went to school, did not know any English. It's a crazy introduction yeah. to to America. And that pre-adolescent age is so tricky anyway. I'm sure it's remarkable just to land someplace totally new as an 11-year-old. Yeah. Shortly after that, my uh, parents actually moved to Bend or we moved to Bend, which is in Oregon. It's in central Oregon. I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with it. That town is on fire right now. Um, I lived there until about 2007 and that's really where I got into real estate. I was actually going to school studying accounting. Somebody convinced me that I would be a great real estate agent <laughs> and I got my license and dropped out of school and never looked back. <laughs> it's an interesting journey to start real estate when you're in your very early 20s. I, I really enjoyed this whole process around two 2007, I moved to Portland where I met Justin. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you so remember how we met Justin. I do. You were sitting outside of a really stinky house. You were holding an open house and the house smelled so bad that you were literally sitting on the porch reading a book <laughs> because you were like, you can feel free to look inside, but I'm not going with you. And I was like, I'm good. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> I'm yeah, a homestager. My name's Justin. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. And there was actually somebody sleeping inside in one of the bedrooms. Rooms? Open house, awesome. Yes. Yeah. Oh, Ruth, that's a good one. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was the first time that you are very beginning of the start of Spade and Archer. Yeah. And that's right around the time that you showed up because I showed up in 2008 and you were there in 2007. So we were both like pretty fresh. And I just remember being like blown away during that conversation because you like sat down and like talked to me for like a good 30 minutes, which was incredibly generous. And that's always the quality that I've noticed about you is that every time you pop into town, you're that person that I'll be thinking about you and you'll call me first. You always call me first and I'm like, oh God, I never call her first. And just an amazing relationship builder. Yeah, I think you just find the people that you like and you're like, I don't care if you want me a friend or not, we're going to be friends. So it's um, amazing. I, I yeah. Actually, Ruth, I don't think that you probably remember this, but Justin, I have a little bit of a story too. Ruth, I almost did an open house for you uh, like a year plus ago. And I didn't end up doing because the fires were coming into town. You were, you were not here, obviously. We had the loveliest like 20 minute conversation. And as a brand new agent, I'm sure you have these lovely conversations all the time. But for me, I was like, oh my gosh, this really experienced person just gave me like 20 minutes of her time. We chatted about real estate. You were like, absolutely lovely. So clearly that is something that you offer the world. <laughs> How many years did you work in Portland doing real estate? Um, so I moved to Portland. It was 
the beginning of 2008, we uh, moved to Scottsdale about two-ish years ago. So, so like, t- uh, t- is that 10 years, 12, 11 years, something like that? You were doing por- real estate in Portland? I'm trying to think, yeah, a, a little bit over that, yeah. So then all of a sudden, you pack up, you're like... I love you, Portland, but I need to go to Arizona. And you pack up your entire business, your entire life, and boom, you reland in Arizona. This is very rare for real estate agents to do this because your sphere of influence is, is so tied to where you live and where you are. And this is literally the second time you've done this because you picked up and moved from Bend and went to Portland, gained a lot of reputation and chutzpah in Portland, and now picked up and moved. And like now you're in Arizona and you're killing it again. How in the heck are you doing this? I mean, aside from like just giving every single person you meet 30 minutes of quality time with you. How the (laughs) heck are you building these relationships and making this happen so fast? It's amazing. Well, the the first time took a little bit longer than the second time. Uh, When I first moved to Portland, it was sort of on a whim. I was dating this man that um, was already living in Portland and I was a pretty successful agent in Bend by most people's accounts and Mm. it was was really hard for me to convince myself of it. Apparently, he wasn't enough of a reason <laughs> to, we're no longer together. Um, he wasn't <laughs> enough of a reason to just pack up and move. But it was just getting harder and harder to commute back and forth. And I was in Portland one day and said, you know what, I'm going to wait for a sign to tell me that I should move to Portland. I went back home and I'm really not kidding, but within like a week of saying that, a friend of mine called and said, I want to sell our house. And at that time, his house was about seven times the average sales price of anything in Bend. <laughs> so I was like, there's ah, a sign. This is my, <laughs> this is my sign. As soon as this house sells, I'm just going to like make the transition. And it was probably about 12 months at that time. There was not a lot of houses in that price point in Bend period. And and the ones that were there were like on the market for about 12 months before they found the buyer. This was like November 2007. The market was still okay, but kind of like starting to show a little bit of cracks. I put the house on the market and within two weeks, somebody flies in on their private jet and says, I want this house and here's a bunch of cash. Could your clients be out in two weeks? Because my family wants to be in by Christmas. <laughs> and wow, my client was like, yep, we'll make that work. I can't believe we even got this price and sold the house this fast. And I went home, booked a mover, moved to Portland within like 30 days. Took a little bit longer to kind of get going in Portland because it was the start of 2008 and I was young and kind of traveling a lot. Really, I just built my business a little bit slowly through just relationships. I mean, that was pretty much how I did it. It took a lot longer, but it really paid off for me to not have to worry about, you know, who I'm working with. All the referrals came through like trusted sources, which kind of gives you an ability to really have more time and quality time with the people that you're working with instead of chasing a lot of leads. And the second time was also a move on a whim. (laughs) Apparently it's the story (laughs) of my life. (laughs) 
But I was in Portland living the life, becoming successful, and life sort of bitch slapped me in the face. And at 36, I got diagnosed with lymphoma, which was a complete, out of the blue, life-changing experience. And it took a couple of years to kind of get through that. But I realized, you know what, Portland was just not a happy place place for Mm -hmm. me. It, there wasn't anything necessarily specific wrong with it. I just found myself that I would be on vacation and just thinking about my next vacation before I even came home. I just wasn't really excited to like come home. And I was in a relationship, a really solid relationship at that time. And I, I got through the lymphoma treatment and I said, you know what, why don't we go somewhere sunny? Picked up and moved. <laughs> Took our chances. And um, this Second time around, it's actually been much easier to sort of transition into real estate first experience. As soon as I got my license, I was like, okay, now what? What am I going to do? And I kind of am a believer in signs and putting things out into the universe, for the lack of a better word. I, I got my license. I was reading a book or an article, and there was a little blurb that said, this time you're not starting from scratch. You're starting from experience. I was like, no, this is my statement. And within a few days, A friend of mine called and said, I'm moving down to Arizona. Can we buy a house? And that's how it all started. (laughs) It's funny. Ruth talks about this idea that like she does everything like on a whim. Like, you know, and then I moved to Portland and I moved to Arizona. And like, it was just this big whim. Just a little bit of insight into Ruth's life. I've met with her for lunch a number of times and she always has this kind of moleskin journal with her. And when she opens up the front page of this moleskin journal, once a year she goes through and she does this kind of collage, this decoupage of items that are kind of magazines, almost scrapbooky, and it's all about the things that she wants to do in the next year. It looks like it's very disorganized, but it's all these really visual reminders that reminds her of exactly what the hell she is that she's doing, why she's here on this planet right now in this year. And then she goes through and like journals in it daily, talking about how she's working to achieve those things that are on that front page. She talks about it as if it's this thing that like just kind of like, you know, magically manifested itself. This is literally one of the most focused most aimed people I've met in my entire life. And she does it in this way that is very much so her own. And people will make fun of her because like, oh, you're scrapbooking again. You know, that's so cute. Ha ha ha. It is incredibly organized. And not only is it, it's not something that like gets by her back door, which just kind of walks out and she sees it. Like it's with her like all the time. Every time she opens that book, it's where she takes notes. Like it's a reminder. This is what you want. This is what you want. This is what you want. I think you're a bit poo-pooing yourself a little bit, Ruth, and saying that you're not organized and that this was all a whim. But like, I am just phenomenal amazed in these systems that you have built that very much are like your own. They work very much for you. Are you still doing that? Are you still doing the the decoupage? And- yes, I still do that every year in the same notebook. I've been doing it for probably about eight, nine years now. It's really helpful for me to just have it there daily and something that's portable. Sometimes I don't even realize I guess I look at it, I look at it not daily, but weekly, I do do that uh, and kind of make my list of things to do based on that. But I have been amazed over the years how many things have just kind of come into my life that are little visions of what that was without even me working on that specific goal at that time. I always talk about the same thing over and over again, opportunity 
opportunities when they land in your lap, all you have to do is just not bat them away. And when you are constantly aware of what opportunities you want, it makes you so much more capable of not batting them away because no is a very easy answer. It's very easy to say no to like any kind of opportunity lands in your lap. But when you know it's what you want, when you are prepared to say yes, when that opportunity lands in your lap and you are able to actually do it because you've been reminded constantly on a weekly or a daily basis, that's what you want. It's so much easier not to bat those things away. I think it's phenomenal. What's the biggest lesson that you've learned in this transition to Arizona? I mean, I've always been a huge relationship person. I feel now more than ever, it's been really apparent how important relationships really are. And just nurturing those relationships, you know, I kind of feel every day when I check in with people that are important to me, it's kind of like watering your little garden. You know, some of the seeds you don't see for a while, some grow really fast and go away and never come back. But it's still like the process of watering that's important. That is kind of how I ended up jumpstarting my business is a lot of my clients are coming from relationships that I had in the Pacific Northwest with people and other agents. So it's been really valuable to get started here pretty fast. And the other thing that I wasn't doing so much in Portland, I was really more doing it for fun, but I've taken it a little bit more seriously here is power of social media. So I've been really intentional about that and how I use it. And I'm really using it to meet people in person, especially in a time where, you know, I've been here most of the Corona shutdown. So it's not been what I'm quote, you know, normal times. What platforms are you concentrating on? I am mainly doing Instagram with a touch of Facebook. What's your handle on the Instagrams? Desert Style AZ. You guys, you have to check out her page because it is it is stunningly <laughs> beautiful. She oh, has such you. an amazing eye. And I just love this idea that like people reach out to you and they're like, hey, I want you to help you buy my house because you have really good taste and you're going to help me find the place that I think is beautiful. It's really been very interesting. Ruth has an amazing eye to see exactly where trends are going. She's very capable of looking at it and be like, this is what people are going to find beautiful right now. And I don't know if that's just your taste or if it's your ability to anticipate what's, what people will find beautiful, but it's, it is an, a beautiful page. Go check it out, please. Have people been oh, reaching out to you through you. there? It's just now really starting to snowball. So I've started using it because I didn't really have a track record of sales here when, when I first moved here. And so what I thought I would do is is, okay, I'm going to, I don't have a portfolio of sold homes here, but what I'll do is I'll show somebody that wants to work with me kind of what my taste is. A lot of times people come and say, oh, I want a modern house, but that means something so different to everyone. And so I started putting out there the things that I like and trying to attract the type of buyer that has the same aesthetic or wants as me, sort of intentionally used Instagram as like a visual portfolio of like what my taste is in hopes that somebody looks at it and says, that's my person that would get me and what I'm looking for. So I've been using it for that. And I've also been using it to meet people in person with Corona. You know, Arizona hasn't been shut down as as much as other states have, but it's still, you know, a lot of things have been canceled as far as in-person meetings. And I don't have kids 
and not a lot of other activities like where you meet a lot of people at uh, one time. So I've been intentionally using Instagram to make relationships online and then take them offline in real life. That's great. That's great. Yeah. It's fantastic. I don't think it's everybody that can that can do that, Ruth. I mean, I think so many of us see it's my online stuff stays online. And the fact that you're able to transfer those relationships to start them and then to bring them into your life in a different way, I think is that's remarkable. I just closed a client from it recently. So it's it's starting to yeah. really pay off. It's a lot of time, yeah. but um, it's definitely worth it. I kind of related to going to a bar by yourself. If you go out into a bar by yourself and you're dressed nicely, nobody's really going to walk up to be like, hey, you, I want to talk to you. If you want to actually meet somebody, you have to initiate. You have to say hello. You have to be like, how are you? Where are you from? What are you drinking? You have to start a conversation. And so with Instagram, you put all this stuff out there. It doesn't matter how beautiful your page is. If you are not working to interact with people, if you're not reaching out to say hello, no one's going to reach out and say hello to you. All of us feel like we are unworthy of a response. We all feel like we're unworthy of talking to somebody, especially when you become a fanboy and you're like, ah, Desert Style AZ, her taste is so fantastic. She would never talk to me. Like, you know, she's way too out of my league to talk to me. And so to have you turn around and reach out and be like, hey, I noticed that you like my page. I would be interested in talking to you, blah, 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 and starting to build those relationships. If you're not willing to reach out, you will not get the interactions out of it. And so getting the pretty stuff out there is the baseline. Then you got to reach out and say hello. This is a really kind of stupid question for somebody who moved here from Romania and has battled and beat lymphoma. Um, gosh, what was your hardest day in real estate? <laughs> you know, like after you've been through that, like clearly there have been some real struggles and you are quite a fighter. I get the feeling that not a lot phases you at this point. So like, what was your hardest day in real estate so far? That is definitely a hard question for me because I do sort of let things go and never think about them again, especially in real estate. It feels like people are really stressed all the time. And a lot of times they make decisions that may not be who they really are under normal circumstances. But I would say if I was to like think about the last thing that really affected me, it actually involves a spade and arches staged house uh, <laughs> in Portland. It was my client was trying to save up money to buy his dream home and bought this house that he was trying to you know rehab he had a full-time job so he was doing this on the weekends and at night and he worked like tirelessly for like six months to get this house like ready for market and it was a challenging neighborhood kind of a challenging street actually we finally found somebody was staged by spade and archer everything looked great it was just really the area and the street and get into contract somebody that was there at the house had left the patio door open and somebody came in and literally completely just destroyed this house It was so hard to see. It was like kitchen appliances that were brand new were cooked on. Justin's chargers were eaten on. The, I can't even go into what happened to the bathrooms. I, I'm, I'm sure it was more than one person. Somebody's like living in there, right? Like they were living on the staging. They destroyed the sheets. They rearranged the furniture. It was just a nightmare. And the buyer said, this is not the neighborhood for me. It was kind of a hard day in real estate to realize how a professional mistake, maybe, you know, obviously was probably an unintentional that somebody didn't lock up the house, but just how one professional mistake could really just affect somebody else's 
life and investment. He did not end up getting as much money for that house as he originally had that buyer for because the area was sort of getting worse and worse. So that one one door unlocked, you know, cost thousands and thousands of dollars. Okay, I remember that. And we've had a number of break-ins. We've had a number of squatters. And we always try to restage the house within a business day and get it back together again. But there was so much more than just staging stuff that was affected like that actual house itself was affected. And so that one took a lot longer. I'm glad I was able to get it sold eventually. We went to go destage a house a couple weeks ago and we came in and there was a, a squatter asleep in the bed while we were there. And we said, um, are you supposed to be here? And they're like kind of groggy. And that's one of the, th- one of the hardest things about hum- being homeless is that it's very, very hard to get a good night's sleep. And so Uh, This person had actually brought in their own linens, laid them on top of our linens. They didn't even destroy our stuff. We said, we don't think you're supposed to be here. We're going to call the owners. And within about 10 minutes, he got himself up. He got himself dressed. He apologized for using one of our towels and left the house. And it's just one of those things where, like, you start to realize, like, we don't consider ourselves to be privileged, but like we get to sleep on a mattress every night. It was an inconvenience for us. We had to wait for 10 minutes to get this person out of the way and we had to wash all the sheets and stuff afterwards. But I mean, like this person was trying as hard as they could to to survive and be considerate. And so as much as it sucks for our clients that have to deal with these people who break into our houses, it also sucks for the people that don't have a place to live in. It's just like, there's just a no win situation around any of this stuff. So what really bothers me is like when there's like a little pottery bowl on the nightstand, but they put their cigarettes out on the wooden nightstand instead. And you're like, there's a bowl right there. Like why, why do you have to ruin the whole nightstand? Okay. So tell us about your best day in real estate. Let's go there. I think that just my first deal in Scotland, Scottsdale really was the best day. It wasn't anything special. I, I feel that my my restart here has really given me the opportunity to just completely reinvent myself and how I do business and who I am. It was a refreshing start to a new chapter in real estate. And especially since it came so fast. Ruth Price is a real estate agent in Scottsdale, Phoenix metropolitan area with North and Co. And that's all one word, North Ampersand Co. Period. I learned all about North and Co. today. Ruth, where's the <laughs> best place for people to find you on the Instagrams? So my Instagram handle is Desert Style A Z and is D E S E R T. It's not Desert and Style, <laughs> it's Desert Style. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> uh, my website's the same, DesertStyleAZ.com. And my cell is 480-463-4976. Anyone is listening? No one is listening, just so you know. (laughs) Reach out. I'll be shoveling sunshine this winter. I love it. I love it. (laughs) Thank you so much, Ruth. We'll talk to you soon. You're welcome. How delightful is Ruth? She is like just such an amazing person. I am blown away at the perseverance and just, she's so like nonchalant about it. She's like, yeah, and then I had lymphoma and you know, like just got over that, whatever. And I'm like, oh my God, dude, you're amazing. I said this in the podcast, like 
when I realized that she was the guest you were interviewing and then I re- I like was like why is her name familiar to me and I looked back and realized that I'd had this like lovely conversation with her it just all sort of makes sense at how she operates in the world and also I think that reminder to just like the the perspective that it brings to be someone who's gotten through such difficult things and that we do get into such a panic about real estate sometimes and it probably behooves us all to take a breath here and there <laughs> I also feel like her the biggest lesson from her is like this idea that no one's going to talk to you. You got to talk first. If you want an opportunity, you're going to have to talk to somebody. You have to be willing to reach out. And that does take a lot of vulnerability because there may be a person when you reach out, you're like, hi, how are you? And they're like, "Eh, I'm not talking to you. You're stupid. You stink and I hate you and you're ugly. And that's what we're afraid everybody's going to say to us when we when we put ourselves on the line like that. Oddly enough, you know, 90% of the people that you talk to are going to be kind and reciprocate. And the 5% are like, fuck them. Who cares? (laughs) You're you're just not my person. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Yeah, I have that conversation actually frequently with myself. So I have this, most of us operate with a database of some sort. And there's definitely some folks in my database that, you know, there's the people that you keep in touch with easily and you connect with easily. And then there's the ones that feel like a little bit more of a reach. And I'm always like, oh, should I send that person a birthday card? Like, is, does this feel weird? Does it like, I tend to overthink things. And then I remember like, often if you're just sending somebody a like, hey, I just sent somebody a postcard from Montana. We were in Montana a couple of weeks ago. And they were just like, I got this text. I haven't talked to them in like eight months. We don't keep in regular touch, but they were like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for the postcard. More often than not, put yourself out there with a little bit of warmth and a little bit of care. You get that back. It's hard to do though. It is hard to do, especially when you're feeling vulnerable. Like coming down here and starting the Los Angeles office, I was really afraid to talk to people because people are very pretty here. Like they are done. They're put together. There's the Botox and the whole, like it's done. And I'm like, here I am, 210 pounds, five foot eight, bald head, you know, kind of a big nose. And I'm like, oh, they are not going to like me because I'm, I'm, I'm pretty by Portland standards, by LA standards, not so much. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, you feel very vulnerable. Like this person is going to completely and totally hate me. And and, and it's okay. I think in those situations, we plan for the worst and hope for the best. And if the best comes through, well, then great. Super, you made an awesome connection with somebody. And if it doesn't, well, then, eh, oh, well, big deal. Moving on, not going to let it bother me. And I think that's what Ruth is just like all about. So I don't know if you've not met Joff Metz before, have you? I have not, but I have heard many good things we about, talk about him. Yes. <laughs> we talk about Joff Metz a lot on this podcast. Yes. He's the guy who composed our music for us, um, which is probably playing in the background right now. If I know Richie, he's, he's in the music background right now. We should go back and, and grab him. Yes. I, you know, Ooh, for this yeah. um, Arizona Fiesta, we were trying to find like a connection to get Ruth's Arizona thing and Joff's music thing. And so we brought in a mariachi band as well. And I'm really hoping that he's impressed with it. So we'll see what he says. You want to go grab him? I'll go grab him. He looks pretty much like me, bald, short, fat, like that's us. Yeah. (laughs) Don't tell Joff I said he was fat. Jeff, right this way. Uh, I'm so glad to meet you, and I'm sorry to pull you away from the green room. I know that was difficult to leave. It was there was so much happening back there. You know, uh, I've seen a lot of green rooms with chips and dip, that kind of thing. But a mariachi band is really nice. It's a nice touch. We thought you would like that. That was sort of Justin's gift to you. <laughs> Muchas gracias. It is also true that no matter where Joff Metz goes, there is a party to follow for sure. I was so. getting the sense. I was getting the sense that that might be the situation. Let's get that, that party vibe. Yes, yeah. Yes. So Joff, clearly you and I have known each other for a long time. Do you want to just talk about like our history for a hot second? Yeah. You know, I was thinking about that earlier. We met probably in 1990, like so long ago. Um, we were seven. We were sophomores. <laughs> oh, um, we were seven. Yes, we were. Um, but yeah, we, we, we met in high school and, uh, 
I've always been interested in music and was playing guitar back then, and that's become kind of a big part of my... You know, I, I was really honored when you uh, asked about doing some music for this podcast. It was, it was super cool. I want a little more context. Were you tight in high school, or were you just classmates, or how'd you find each other? Java's my best friend. Yeah, oh, we were tight, So you, tight. Were t- you were tight. You've seen each other through the days. We, we went to this Catholic prep school. I transferred there in the ninth grade, so I was the new kid freshman year, and then Justin transferred transferred in his sophomore year. You know, I knew that he was new to school and I knew what that was like. And so I invited him to eat lunch with us. Oh. Yeah. So <laughs> on my first day. Seriously? He was sitting is... behind me and I was feeling like seriously lonely. And he was like, hey man, are you new? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, do you want to have lunch with us? And I was like, yes, I do. Here we are. That is so sweet. 31 years later and we're still best friends. Like that's kind of amazing. It just so happens that we live in the same town. But when we started podcast, I was like, I would love if you would do the music for us. I decorated Joff's house and he did the music for our podcast. And so it's been very mutually beneficial. Um, I love it. What was your inspiration for the theme song, Joff? I tried to approach it with you the same way that I would with with any client like that was just to, you know, try to understand, you know, the intent and who the audience was. And in this case, the medium, I mean, this is the first time that I'd ever done a podcast theme and I'd listened to a bunch, but I wanted to kind of research it and think about what specifically this needed to be that was different. I mean, I've done a lot of recording for uh, of my own compositions with bands and stuff, and I've licensed that to film and television, and I've done a bunch of studio work for you know for other people's projects, you know, playing on on their records or singing on their records. You know, the the work for hire thing is is also something I've done a bunch. I've worked with the NBA with the Trailblazers and. I wrote the theme for a sketch comedy show and the title track for this feature-length film. And it's something that I, I really liked. But you and I talked about, you know, what do you have in mind for music? And we, we listened to a few things. And I, I thought I had sort of the gist, the idea of what you were looking for. I showed you a, a draft. And I was like, here's what I'm thinking. You know, because we were friends, too, I really wanted to get it across. That, like, if you don't like this, it's totally OK. You know, just just let me know. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, because it's just so hard. Like, oh God, it's awful. I have to put this in my website. Right. right? <laughs> you know, Justin liked the idea. So then I finished off those recordings. There's actually two songs the one that, that we called Rad Delay and one called Like a Boss that were, were different. They're both instrumental, they're both shorter, not like a three or four minute song, but they didn't need to be. So I just did a, res- a bunch of research and, and thought too about like the deliverables that were a little bit different. Like I didn't just give you an MP3 or a wave file of the finished song. I also sent you versions of it that were just, you know, the drums and bass. just a snippet of the guitar, a minor chord or a major chord, something that you could use as things to punctuate 
the show, you know, or that you could use at your disposal and, and keep it cohesive musically. That was sort of my thought. It was like just really trying to understand how you're going to use it and then give you something that would allow you to be flexible with it and mold it to whatever your in, you know intentions are. I had no idea what I even wanted. And so going through and having you ask those questions and have you figure it out made it so that it was a whole lot easier. And then when the deliverables came through and it was like literally 15 different tracks, whereas like some of them were like five seconds long. Some of them were like two minutes long. It was just all these different versions. It was almost like a, a symphony where you had variations of the symphony that changes as it goes through. And, and I sent it all to our editor. Our editor like uses whatever the heck he wants. I'm like, good, fantastic. This is not what I'm good at. So you guys do that part. It'll be great. I find this sort of fascinating, this idea, Joff, that you did this labor of love for Justin, what your art is, you contributed to this whole process. Did you get the other thing, the other side of it when Justin's doing decoration, when Justin is helping you figure out where things go in the house? Did you get to be like, oh, no, 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 I don't like that there. <laughs> no, no, uh, actually, this it's such such a cool story. I bought a new place. I decided that, you know, not only did I actually need new furniture, but that the stuff that I had wasn't going to fit. So I just kind of started from scratch. And I talked to Justin about it. And he said, you know, he came in and saw it early on and had some ideas about painting and, you know, layout. One of the things that he asked me to do, he said, you know, you trust me, right? And I said, yeah, of course. He said, okay, let me just tell you, like, let me give you the suggestions put them into practice and I promise you'll like it and there were a few things that initially I was like whoo bold choice but once <laughs> I saw it all finished yeah. It's so good. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people, when they first came over to my house too, they thought that it was going to be like like a spool for a table, like lawn <laughs> furniture in the living room and stuff. You know, like a bunch of cool guitars. Which but is then what just... it was before I got there. Wow. Yeah, okay. So, yeah. So, uh -huh. so I, left, I left the spool at my own or old place. You know, the other thing that was really cool too is that, you know, we had the painting and, and the flooring and all that kind of stuff done. But in terms of furniture, in terms of actually like staging the place to, to be lived in, Justin came in with a blank sheet of paper, just kind of a rough sketch. And I watched him do it, you know, and he, he sketched out where the couches would go and where the coffee table would go and where the rug would go. And, you know, he had ideas for art on either side, you know, behind the couches. And because of the way that it was painted and whatever, like I saw the whole thing come together. We went to the warehouse together on his off time on a Saturday or Sunday. He picked out stuff, you know, was, what do you think? Like, he would, he would say like, like better this or that, you know, I mean, there were a couple of choices on me, but beyond that, we just loaded up the truck. I helped him move it in. I saw what he'd done. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. So much cooler than I would have come up with. I keep it the same. It's it's yes. exactly the same as it was. It still does look exactly the same. Yeah. yeah. No, it's killer. <laughs> I'm sure it's like Justin, the first time that he heard the music that you were putting together for him. I'm sure there was just like this, that sort, same yeah, sort of sense of like, brilliant. it's not terrible. You know, it was really, really good. I mean, Jaffa is the type of person that I found out on a Friday evening around four o'clock in the afternoon that we had completely forgotten to destage a 5,000 square foot house in Westland, which is like a good 40 minutes away from town. I pick up the phone in a panic and I said, Joff, is there any way that you can come tonight and help me detach a house? This is after being in business for 13 years and my whole crew was out of town. Nobody was here. It was, it was me. Joff said, yeah, absolutely canceled dinner plans with his girlfriend, picked up everything, like stopped his entire life and came and destaged a house with me until one o'clock in the morning. It was, it was, it was like the best, <laughs> best friend in the world. You know, Justin had never asked me to do that before. And I knew that if he was asking me, I was the last call, right? And as it turns out, it's Justin, husband, his son, and his mm -hmm. son's two friends, and then me. They just needed another yes. driver. And I was like, 
totally. I'm, I'm down. Let me help. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I own a business too. And I, like, I totally get that. That like, ultimately, you know, the buck stops with you. Let's talk about your business. Well, okay. So I, I got a couple things going. I mean, I own a music store called Five Star Guitars. And you can uh, check that out at fivestarguitars.com. It's all spelled out. You know, I've, I've got a couple of, a couple of bands that I work with and we're starting to book shows again. So you can check out antsinthekitchenband.com. It's my funk soul cover band. It has a horn section. Yeah, can we yeah. just talk about uh, that for a second? It has a horn yes. section. Yes. And backup dancers. This it's, is a cool-ass band. It's, yeah. it's a super fun project, yeah. Well, I'm the singer and the guitar player, but like kind of the you know music director a little bit. It's, it's a really spontaneous, fun situation. And it's, it's really interesting playing guitar in a band that's that big because the role of the guitar is different than the other band that I've got called uh, Metz, Ryan, and Collins, where it's like a three-piece rock band, just, just a blast. And we're starting to starting to rehearse and do that stuff again. When I'm not playing music, I, I own a, a music store. I'm a co-owner of a music shop that I've been working here since 2000. But it's been really cool, you know? It's been an exciting way for me to be involved with music. Didn't you guys win an award last year? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, <laughs> I'm, uh, yeah, I uh, couldn't fit all my trophies in the green room. I left them in the car. <laughs> No, actually, we, we've been getting we've been getting a lot of like really great press, and I've been telling Justin about this the whole time, and I'll I'll share it with you. You know, we've been pretty active in the community with you know the Chamber of Commerce and Parks and Rec and all this kind of stuff. In 2016, we were we were put forward and and actually won this award. We were the uh, Business Persons of the Year for the uh, Small Business Administration. It was a way bigger deal than what I initially thought. Like I remember getting the letter, and it was like, yeah, come out to D.C. on such and such a date, and I'm like, ha, huh, I don't think. So waste my weekend. But then I realized the next day I was like, oh my God, we, we have to go do this. It was so much bigger than I thought. It, it, it turns out we were the first music store to win that since the inception of the award in 65. You know, I mean, like one point I was selling strings at the shop and like the next day I was in Washington and Mark Cuban was handing me a trophy at the Smithsonian. It was really amazing. It was like almost surreal when that happened. Yeah. And we, we've gotten a lot of industry awards too and, and a, a lot of great press that way. The uh, trade group that oversees musical instrument manufacturing and distribution is, um, the acronym is NAM. It's the National Association of Music Merchants. And it, it's a global group that each year choose a hundred stores that represent best practices worldwide. And we've, we've been in that list since like 2014, but we've also, you know, in 2018, we won in a specific category for best turnaround. It was sort of acknowledging everything that we had done with the store since we bought it. It meant a lot. You know, I mean, like nobody really reads the those magazines but us but it just it felt so good to get you know a pat on the back uh from those guys you know i mean it is the best stores in the world and, and so it, it meant a lot and then in 2020 we won this thing called dealer of the year which is like the the highest honor in the industry it's like best movie at the at the oscars exactly right? like yeah, yeah 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 wow. yeah so yeah. especially in 2020 which was such a turbulent year for us you know at one point we had to furlough all of our employees and i wasn't sure what was going to happen if we'd be even in business by the end of the year. In January of 2021, we were we were named Dealer of the Year. I, I saw that we had been nominated, and I honestly thought, like, wow, hey, a nomination, that's a nod, that's something new. One of these days, maybe we'll win it. And I didn't even think, like, maybe I should prepare a little something to say, just in case. Uh, just, you know, super grateful and super honored. We've had so much support locally and, and nationally, and even talking about it now, I've got a little, little misty, yes. you know? Because uh, <laughs> we were just working hard to do what we needed to do and to try to do the best we could for our employees and customers and all this stuff, you know, in the midst of it to have somebody say like, hey, you did the best 
the best job. Nailed it. You know, <laughs> it's the best place for folks to find you online. Fivestarguitars.com. Hey, man, it's Joff's world. We're just living in it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, you're too kind. <laughs> our producer is Nicole Durkin. Our music is written, composed, and performed by Joff Metz. You can find it at fivestarguitars.com. Amy, where's the best place to find you? I am at amyromberg.com. And you can find us at spade-archer.com. I wanted to say thank you so much for all the folks who have reached out to tell us their stories. If you have a story that you want to tell, reach out and find us. You can find us at spade-archer.com. Click on a podcast link. You can listen to the podcast on any channel you want or shoot an email and let us know what your story is. We'll see you next time behind the yard sign. This production of Behind the Yard Sign was brought to you live from the Spade and Archer Studios. Spade and Archer Design Agency is the world's first guaranteed home stager.